Welcome to the Forging Metal Podcast with your blacksmiths, Tara O'Brien and Ron Duran Jr. Come inside and grab your hammer. The fire is hot and ready. It's time to harden up. Let's get to work. The forge is now open. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the forge. Um, I'm sitting in my office for the first time in who knows how long, and uh, I'm back teaching at, on campus at the University of Colorado. And the summer's winding down, as you probably all know. And what a summer it was! I, I had a, an amazing summer, and I think we're going to spend a little time talking about that today. Yeah, um, a busy summer, busy for forging metal, which is a good thing. And I got to ask you, since we can see that you're in your office, are you one of the half of the country that's happy to be back at work or the other half that's like, I wish I was still in my pajamas at home? I love my office and I love coming in here and, and there's a lot of things that I like about it, but I also like the other side of it too. When you can sit in your pajamas and, and do a, a Zoom call. It's pretty nice too. So I'm I'm one of those people that I think I like both sides of it. I'd mm-hmm. like to be able to be able to do each version of that. Yeah. Um, and I think a lot of people fall into that category. So everybody wants kind of a hybrid. I think not everybody, but there's some people that say I never want to go back to the office ever again. Um, I'm not that person. So yeah, I'm kind of excited to be in the office right now. Yeah, I, I think the hybrid is where we're going. I'm looking at all your office decor because I've never actually seen your office and your fake tree in the background there. And How do you know, you know that's fake? I know it is. I know you do not water that thing. Um, and then I think what looks like in front of a bottle of beer, which is great, is a living the dream. Living the dream, which is literally, I honed in on that, which is perfect because I totally want to dig in and ask you about your summer, which really fits that phrase. And so you did this epic you called it the great western loop this epic journey over the summer and for what three months it was almost three months almost three months nine states all in your in your jeep with your dog as your co-pilot and i just want to pick your brain on a bunch of stuff because you know that's not a typical thing that we all get to do anymore so tell us where you went you got to kind of give us the lay of the land. Like, tell us where you went, when you started this thing. And did you plan the whole thing out? Like, was it the whole thing planned out or were you winging it or what did you do? Yeah. Before I get into that, let's let's just say I want to make a, a point here that this wasn't even on my radar. I will say probably, you know, back in, in March, April, May, I, I, I didn't have any grand plan to be a digital nomad for the summer. Wasn't even thinking about it. Wasn't even considering it. And I'll be honest, there was two things, well, probably three things that influenced me to start thinking about it. One of them was you, Tara, when you said, you know, I've done this before where I've lived in Airbnbs. And I think you said for up to a year. I did. And so I was like, wow, I've never heard of anybody doing that. And it was just fascinating to me to hear that as maybe is an option. You know, why not, right? And then we had Travis and Julia Gentry, who with a a family of, they had four kids. And they were doing this a little differently, but they were going, you know, three months at a time in a house. And they would move to another city and do it again. That's a great podcast, by the way, podcast number 10 with uh, Julia and Travis. Yeah, and they have now settled down in Florida, but... Those were the kind of, the, I think that was where it planted the seed of, huh, 
That's interesting. And I'm a person that once you plant that seed, a lot of times I, I water that and I want to see it grow. And then, of course, when I listen to, you know, Matthew McConaughey on Green Lights, you know, where he goes on what he calls walkabout, that appeals to me as well. I've always been an adventurer. And so all of these things led to maybe kind of hatching this idea of traveling around throughout the summer. And so where did I go? Nine states. Gosh, Tara. I don't know if I can rattle off the nine states, but it was basically Wyoming, Montana, Idaho, Washington, Oregon, California, Nevada. Maybe I am going to do this. Cross through Utah, a little bit of Arizona, and I think back into Colorado. So it was wonderful. I think it was about 4,000 miles of driving. So and then I just I just hit mostly I just hit Airbnbs as I went along. Sometimes I I did a hotel in between Airbnbs, and I actually had one time where I slept in my Jeep, in a rest area. So it was crazy. It was something that I don't know if I'll ever be able to do it again. And it was something I probably will never forget. And uh, so there you go. Any weird, any like super weird stays? Like, did you do any of the teepees out in the middle of the woods or like, <laughs> any weird I stayed, yeah. uh, Airbnb experiences? I stayed in a covered wagon in Tillamook, Oregon. So right on go. the beach in, well, not right on the beach, but maybe a half mile off the beach in Tillamook, Oregon, where they make the cheese and a lot of other things, Tillamook uh, ice cream. Yeah, I stayed in a covered wagon. It was really cool. I would have stayed there multiple nights. I only did one, but... That was a lot of fun. That was the most unique thing I did. And then almost three months, like did you, before you left, I know this was kind of because I was talking to you in the in the planning stages, which was not a lot of time that you did to plan all of this, but did you book out the whole trip or did you just kind of wing it as you went? What a great question. I think that I always, I always feel like I need to apologize. Maybe this is a character flaw. I'm not real good with organization <laughs> and planning. Um, I'll overanalyze the, the shit out of things, but I, I, I have a hard time with committing. And so I had a loose plan of the, the route I wanted to take, but I was basically booking these things as I went. I was just kind of trying to stay maybe a week to 10 days ahead of, my, of myself because quite honestly, part of the reason I like to do that is it gives me more freedom. I feel like if I book the whole trip, if I said, oh, I want to go over here, I no longer can do that because now it's all kind of etched in stone. And a lot of these Airbnbs, they don't have real good uh, refund policies. So I'm like, okay, I plop you know, down $500. I might lose that if something changed. So I was a little reluctant to be too far ahead of the game, but that's how I did it. And it, it worked out pretty good. It, it got me in trouble on the maybe the Oregon and California coast a little bit where things were booked up, uh, but I found a way. Yeah. And then we can hear your co-pilot in the background yeah, there. Yeah, my dog's barking. <laughs> I got to ask you, how did your dog like 4,000 miles in the Jeep? She adapted at, at the beginning. Okay. I don't think she was a big fan, but she really, both of us really got into a routine of how that all worked. And it was kind of funny to watch both of us learn. All right. A hundred questions I have for you on this, because this is, you know, adventure brings up a lot of VUCA. And we talk about VUCA a lot uh, through Forging Metal and do some teaching, especially on uncertainty. And just in that, that, that question that I asked about, like, traveling without a plan through places you've never been, um, a lot of the places you went you have never been, I think. What was, what was the uncertainty like? And, like, how did you handle it or deal with it? Or 
What a great question. VUCA, for, for those of you who don't know, we've talked about it before on this podcast, volatility, uncertainty, complexity, and ambiguity. And yes, it was a VUCA world. <laughs> I think we're going to talk a little bit later about, I almost didn't start this journey because I was very, the uncertainty really, I'm going to use the word scare. It kind of scared me. To not have a, you know, people might laugh at this, but there was anxiety around not having a home. You know, to be, I call it my homeless summer, and I'm going to put, let's put homeless in quotes. I know I'm not truly homeless. I am a very privileged uh, white male in the United States. I'm not actually homeless, but I can also say I was homeless. I didn't have a home. And so I had to secure a home everywhere I went. And that's a weird thing. There's a ton of uncertainty around that. And I'll say the first maybe couple weeks, the anxiety level and, and uh, stress was a lot higher. And then after a while, you just one of the things I, I learned, and, and this shouldn't be a surprise, what's hard at first becomes easy. And so at the beginning of this, there was a lot of trying to figure things out and how does it all fit together and what's the rhythm of, of this. And then once I got into it, I, I, not only was it not so bad, I actually started enjoying it. And so that at, at, at the beginning, the uncertainty bothered me. And then later, I kind of enjoyed the uncertainty. And uh, I said, I can figure this out. If I have to, I can sleep in a rest area. You know, when you start to wrap your mind around, this is not as big a deal as I'm making it out to be. You know, to not have a bed and not have a roof over your head is not going to make you die. <laughs> at least, you know, not in what I was traveling in. You know, I'm not in the Arctic. So... But my brain was trying to trick me into this, right? To say, this is, oh my gosh, this is panic time. We've spent a lifetime, you know, 53 years of having a roof over our head and a soft bed always there for me. And for the first time in my life, I didn't have that. And so, again, I know it sounds a little foolish that you would worry about something like that. But until you try it, I'd say come back and, and talk to me and, and see how it went for you. But for me, it kind of freaked me out a little bit at the beginning. And let's clarify for for the listeners, you actually packed up your home, put it in storage, all as part of this plan. So everything's sitting in storage. And quite frankly, the only thing you had was your vehicle and whatever could fit into uh, a, a two-door Jeep, right? And so, and, and your dog, right? Yeah. And so... Yeah, you literally did that. And uh, Simon Sinek and I both want to know what your why is here in a few minutes. So uh, <laughs> so start thinking about it because I'll ask you in, in just a few minutes. But let's go back to what you said. You said, you know, 53 years. I'm going to call you out and say, since you dropped the age right there, and say this is something that typically, at least in American society, but, you know, to be honest, most Europeans are, are this way as well. This is something that college students do. This is something that students, we know because we both teach, they do it after they graduate high school or they do it after they graduate college. And it's kind of their rite of passage to sure. go out and figure out the world, right? Like, what is that like? Do you think it's so hard for someone older to do it? Did it feel like weird to you? Did it feel exhilarating? Because, uh, you know, you don't hear a lot of people in their 50s going out and doing that. Let's start with I'm not your typical 53-year-old. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> I don't have kids. For anybody that doesn't know me, I don't have kids. I'm not married. I'm unattached for the most part, uh, except for my dog. So let's let's paint that picture. And so I have empathy for the folks out there that have more ties. This would be harder if you have a family, you have a spouse, all those things. I also could work remotely. 
I couldn't have pulled this off if I couldn't work remotely. So a lot of things had to come into place for this to happen. But I also want to caution all of you. You know, one of the things with coaching that I hear a lot is I could never do that. I could never do what you're doing. And, you know, be careful with that kind of thinking. Because the first thing I'm going to ask you is, have you ever tried? Have you ever really sat down and and reflected and and got creative and say, how could I do this? You know, again, Travis and and Julia Gentry do it with four small kids. So they figured out a way. And so if you really, truly want to do an adventure like this, don't be so quick to say, I can't do that. Yes, it's different than what maybe my situation is. But so what? Everybody's different. Everybody has different limitations. Figure it out. If it's really important to you, figure it out. And I like that you said earlier, like this, it's not going to life or death, right? It's not going to kill you. It's not going to ruin your entire existence. I know you did. I remember in the beginning and it's, you know, baby steps, right? You can literally, I remember, I didn't know how you planned out the rest of your trip, but I remember when you were leaving to go to your first stay up in Wyoming, you packed up your Jeep and you were on the way to start your journey I think I remember saying, do you have anything booked beyond this one, you know, place up in Wyoming, which I think was a farm stay. So do you have anything booked beyond that? You're like, I don't know. I don't I don't know. And I think that's part of the key on these big things. That's why I love that you didn't plan the whole thing out, because it's like sometimes you just got to get in your car and go and figure out the rest on the way. And that's part of the process, right? Yeah, that, that's a great point. Uh, one of the things that comes up from my, my past is when I started building my airplane, I didn't have it all figured out. I, I'll be honest. I didn't know how I was going to pay for it. I didn't know how long it was going to take. I didn't know if I had what I, what I needed to get it done. And I started anyway. And so I think there's a good lesson here. You don't have to have it all figured out before you start. Uh, I, I think you should do some initial planning. I wouldn't say jump in without doing any planning. But I see so many people use over-planning and over-analyzing to prevent them from even moving forward. Mm. And so I think you need to get to a certain point. And I've heard some people you know, say, if you have 80% of the information, you can move forward or you should move forward. And so I think that's an important thing. And for me personally, I'm, an, I'm somebody that likes to over-analyze everything. And I did over-analyze the crap out of this. And I almost didn't do it because... There was so much uncertainty, so many things I couldn't answer that it was kind of freaking me out. And then I just figured out as I went. And I think that's a good lesson for life. Don't be reckless, but figure it out as you go. That's not a bad thing. And quite honestly, it can be a lot of fun. So true. It reminds me um, of how I started traveling when I was much younger and uh, living the first half of my life overseas in foreign countries where people spoke foreign languages. And we did not have these Right. We did not have cell phones. She's holding up. Yeah. She's holding up a cell phone for those of you that are not watching on our YouTube channel. Yeah. <laughs> we remember, I mean, quite literally, we didn't have GPS in the car. We didn't have cell phones. We had paper maps. And I can't remember, remember what the first company was. Tell me if you can remember where you could actually plot your destination and you could print out several pages of maps. MapQuest? Maybe. Yeah, maybe. Maybe it was MapQuest. Maybe it was MapQuest. Good, good memory. Ooh. Anyway, that was a nice commodity to have, but we didn't always have that. Our young folks are, folks are saying, what do you mean? What? Paper I don't understand. Maps, MapQuest, what, what? what is That's that? That's crazy. And you would, I remember buying plane tickets to go from one country in Europe to another country in Europe with no plan when I arrived. 
And that just didn't seem like a big deal back then. I think today, now that we have cell was phones. It, and, can I interrupt? Was it yeah. scary at, at the beginning? I mean, was that something you used, the first time you did it, you, you weren't, because that, that kind of freaked me out. No, it wasn't. Because I remember when I got my first car at the age of 17, the first thing I did was I got in with my backpack and I just kept driving for about 17 hours. And I had no idea where I was going <laughs> or where I would sleep that night. And I ended up sleeping in the back of my truck in the middle of the woods because back then, in theory, it wasn't dangerous. And that's what I did. And I think that is maybe scary, but also exhilarating, depending yeah. on who you are. And I think the more you do it, like you said earlier, the more you do hard things, the easier they become. And so now I can do it probably not what I tend to do at an er, at an older age. I think I tend to plan out just a little bit more nowadays, but I do sometimes just go and and I'm not even concerned about it because I've had so much practice. Hmm. So, you might, yeah. I, I, I think you might be rare in that regard. Uh, I, I think most people would be nervous with that, at least at the beginning. Uh, oh. Especially women. I hate to say it, but especially women. Uh, women are big, are well known as being more organized and better planners. Um, well, just, just being afraid to just, just kind of wing it and, and then sleep in the back of their vehicle in the middle of nowhere. Um, yeah. I, I blame my dad for teaching me to, <laughs> to be a lot more independent than, than normal. But no, I, you know, it even makes me remember, remember just going to a restaurant. And having no idea if it was a four-star or five-star, you just had to eat there and figure it out on your own. <laughs> okay, that, that was not one that something was I was worried about. <laughs> <laughs> oh, geez. Okay, let's, let's go to, because I want to ask you some of these revelations that you had along the way and talk to you about, like, what, what, what did you learn? What did you pick up along the road? Because I know there's, especially when you're traveling, traveling alone, which I highly recommend to anyone, to at least try once. I know you pick up kind of new ways of doing things, but what was your why? What was the why? Why in the world did you say we're in the middle of a global pandemic and I'm gonna put all my whole life in storage and I'm gonna go stay at a farm and then figure out what to do for the next two and a half months? I love the why question, by the way. I have a friend that I'm, I'm giving her a hard time when I keep asking her why. She goes, I don't have a why. Anyway, um, so I, I like that question, and I, and I gave it a lot of thought before I did this. I mean, anytime you take on something like this, I think you should be clear on why you're doing it. And so as I, I try to decide what I'm going to do next in my life, I, I'm, I'm, trying to, I'm debating whether my career with long distance running is over. And that's, that's some of my close friends know that I'm, I'm thinking about that. It's been a lot of fun running long distances, but it might be time to switch gears and do something else. And so, and by the way, when we talk long distance, we're talking like 50 and 100 mile races. Yes. 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 <laughs> really not long just stuff. Like, you know, around the corner two times and back, but that's filled this void or maybe, I don't know if I'd say void, but it's filled this maybe, I don't know, void or vacuum four years of doing hard things, pushing myself to the limit and, and seeing what I'm capable of. And so if I turn away from that, and I think at some point it's the right thing to do, what's going to fill that? How am I going to test myself? How am I going to get out of my comfort zone? How am I going to practice what we teach at Forging Metal? You know, we're always saying do hard things, and, and that's where you're going to find fulfillment and, and so many good things. And so this was one of those things I said, all right, this makes me uncomfortable. It's not running 50 miles, let's be honest. But it does make me uncomfortable in a different kind of way. And I, 
the the reason I almost didn't do it is I go, man, it sure be a lot easier, a lot more comfortable if I just stay right here in my cozy little apartment in Denver and not do all of this. Why take on all of this adversity? Because it was going to be adversity. And why not just stay safe in my home with every all my routines, all the creature comforts that I have, my nice fancy coffee machine and, you know, my my, my really comfy bed. I gave all that up to go Your out on the road. friends around my to friends, go hang out yes. with. Yeah. Although we were in a pandemic, so it wasn't a lot of hanging out. But <laughs> So I gave all that up and, and I really, it was a very conscious decision to force myself to be uncomfortable. And it, it reminds me of a stoic exercise that the stoics, you know, 2000 years ago used to do. And they would, they would pick times where they would, sometimes they would fast or they would say, I'm going to eat really bland food like bread and water for like three days. And maybe I'm going to sleep on the floor for X amount of time. And the reason they would do things like this is to say, you know, that comfy bed that I think I can't live without let's train ourselves that we actually can do it. You can sleep on the floor and you'll be okay and you won't die. And so this is this idea of not being attached to these things. And so one of the things that really came out in this, this trip is non-attachment. I was reading a book, uh, an audio book called the comfort crisis. And as I was listening to this book, I'm like, Holy moly, this, the, I'm writing my own book. I think everybody that, that listens regularly knows. I'm about 60,000 words into my book right now, the first draft, and I think that's roughly 240 to 250 pages. So I'm getting close to being done with that first draft from what I can tell. And I think that the comfort crisis, as I read it or listened to it, I would say it's it's a great companion book to the book that I'm writing. He goes down a, a few different paths than I do, and, and which is great because he didn't take anything from me. But it's really around this premise of we've become too comfortable. At least that's what he's, you know, the idea that he's advancing is we've become too comfortable and that's not helping us. And so this is kind of an interesting concept. And, and what came out of that book was he talked about non-attachment. And that's, you know, it's not a new concept to me, but I started thinking about it maybe at a deeper level on my trip, and I really started to come to this conclusion that my anxiety had gone down. I had noticed that my anxiety had gone down. FOMO had gone down, my fear of missing Mm. out. My social media consumption had gone down. So all these things, these are good indicators. These are things moving in the right direction. And I started going, is that related to non-attachment? And so... I'm I'm thinking it was, you know, I, I when you're out on the road, you're quite literally thousands of miles away from home. You're all by yourself. All your stuff is in your Jeep. There's no barbecue at your friend's house that you have to worry about missing out on. So it was it was just weird, simple kind of life that I felt like I wasn't attached to anything. There was no tether to mm. anything, and and I felt free. And again, I think that was driving my anxiety down. So more like being able to live in the present moment rather than living through all this noise and stuff, right? Absolutely. I think that's a great connection. I was very much present moment focused. I wasn't thinking about what's going on in Denver or or I wasn't thinking about an apartment or a house or, you know, that I'd left behind or or anything like that. You know, I said, okay, how's this different than going on a two-week vacation? Hmm. A lot of people go on a two-week vacation and they can't relax. And I'm like, well, it's because they have all those things that it's almost like, again, like a tether that's pulling them back to, to home. 
the things that they're worrying about, their possessions, their house, their apartment, whatever it may be, I didn't have that. And so maybe that's the magic thing is you got to cut those ties. And I don't know, you know how realistic that is for people to do. Well, it's hard too, right? And I remember back in I have to uh, 2016, I went to go to my sister's wedding and my boyfriend and I at the time went to Maui and we were there for two and a half weeks. And I said, let's do something crazy. Let's literally put our cell phones in the glove box of the car. Whoa. Yeah. That's and craziness. never look at them except for Sundays for about 10 minutes to just make sure there's like no problems, right? But no email, no cell phones, no maps, Google Maps, like nothing, no text messaging, nothing. And we did it. And it was really hard. It was like giving up crack cocaine for, you know, a couple of days. And then it became super cool, almost like we're tapping back into our Neanderthal uh, brain of how to just kind of have fun and survive. And I'm curious, you said, like, you went through this because you're out there and alone and you're not tethered to anything. But do you think that if you're out there with your significant other or friends or children, do you think you could probably do something similar and detach and not really, you know, be so caught up in all the noise? So is the question, can you, could you do this? I mean, I did this solo. Could you do this not solo? Is that, yeah. is that what you're asking? Yeah. Gosh, I don't know. Cause I don't know that world, but, <laughs> but, but I do wonder, all right. So I, if I, if you say, okay, Ron, you had this revelation. Most people that are listening are saying, yeah, I don't know how I'm going to make this work. How do I, what do I use from this? And I'm struggling with this as well. As I come back, by the way, my anxiety, as I drove into Denver, mm. I could feel it going back up Bummer. and I just like, wow. Um, and so quite honestly, the first week back, I, I felt my anxiety going back up and I said, wait a minute, you learned some lessons here, Ron start applying this. And so I, it's almost like I'm saying, okay, damp it back down. There's no reason to be anxious right now. And and I'm trying to, to kind of use what I learned over the summer. Now that I'm back in Denver and I'm starting to get reattached to a lot of things, you know, so I, I don't know what the answer is right now, but I think I, I, I'm not ready to give up on this idea that I can get back into that state where I'm not so tied into, again, the FOMO, the social media, you know, the anxiety. I want to get back to that place because it was pure bliss. And I was quite honestly, in some ways, I'd never been happier. Oh, it's so funny that you say never been happier because like 10 seconds ago, I was like, is this fulfillment? Is this, you know, everybody talks about I, I'm not fulfilled or where do I find fulfillment? I'm wondering if uh, a large chunk of that is kind of, I call it getting back to our roots, but it's like getting away from the tech and the noise and the, we talked to our students about this. It's like, when was the last time you went and sat on a park bench and just people watched without your phone? It's just that kind of that art of doing nothing, right? And so I'm wondering like how much of that is kind of tied into the anxiety and the stress and the attachment. Well, that could be that could be one of the I think the main takeaways is is to detach. I think, you know, detach from those things no matter how you feel like you need to do it, but I would say that should be something we're all trying to do because I don't know if there's anything negative. As you said, Tara, it's going to be a little it's going to be uncomfortable at first, but beyond that, it's all positive. It's going to be good for your mental health. You're going to, your anxiety is going to go down, all those things. You know, everybody says, like, I can't turn off my brain. Well, it's, it's overstimulated is what's going on. 
And so, you know, unplugging from that, I think, is a good thing. The other thing that I think was helping with my anxiety is, and this is probably a product of my father, but anytime we would go on a family vacation, it was, you know, drive for, I don't know, eight or 900 miles in a day. And, you know, unless you, you know, you had to pee, there was no reason to stop, right? We would actually have food in the vehicle so we didn't have to stop. It was always this race to go from point A to point B with my father. And, all my life, I've kind of had that mode. Whenever I go on a, a road trip, a vacation, you know, where I'm driving, it's always, I got to get to my destination, right? And so it's such a great metaphor for life that we're always saying, I won't be happy until I get to this next place. And all that time in between, which on a road trip is a lot of time, that's, I'm not enjoying that. I can't mm-hmm. wait till I get to the place. And this was the first trip I'd ever been on because I, I guess I just woke, I kind of intentionally scheduled my days. I tried not to drive any more than 350 miles in a day. And that was actually kind of rare when I went that long. But I wanted to have the freedom to go exploring. If I found something that was interesting, I'd go explore it. Or if I wanted to go sit in a park in some place that was beautiful, I would do that. And so I never felt like I was in a rush to get anywhere. And that was an incredible thing to, to have that patience number one, and just to slow down. Uh, I think that was part of it as well. And also to realize that that time in between the destinations is where, that's where life happens. And I got to see so many things that I think I would have passed over in my previous life or, or you know, before I did this trip. And I just, it, I just settled into being right there in the moment. And that was, that was wonderful as well. I think, again, that was something that lowered my anxiety. It sounds like the definition of freedom. Like, it just sounds like you actually felt fairly free. And I know because, you know, I'm your business partner. I know you were working during this time. It's not like you were on a two and a half month vacation where you just did whatever the heck you wanted to do. So you were still doing, you were still working. You were teaching, you were working, coaching, teaching workshops, consulting, like you're still doing all of that. But it sounds like you really tapped into feeling free. Yeah, which is funny because I'm a single guy with no kids and, you know, all that stuff that we already (laughs) talked about. So people say, well, Ron's always free anyway. But I think you're right. It was probably the most freeing time I've ever felt in my life. And and I don't know, maybe there's something there, too. Do we feel like, I don't know, we have, you know, we have commitments and we have ties Mm -hmm. and... And I don't know if my message is, you know, you need to discard all that stuff and, and you know, go teach surfers or something. I don't know. Pass me the bong. You know, let's uh, let's get high and, and surf all day. I, right. I don't know if that's the answer, but I have to be honest. I'm still processing what I learned. I, I would say that I came back a different person. This was transformational for me. I do not think I'm the same person if when I, as when I left. And I think that's a beautiful thing. And I would encourage everyone to say, you know, what could I do? to maybe, I don't know, have a, 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 I don't know, a three month summer or, or whatever it is for you, where you come back and you say, you know what, I'm going to, I'm a changed person. So anyway, I'm still processing. What are my lessons here? I have a lot of ideas on, on what I think they are and how can I transfer those to my life now? But I'm not giving up on this because it was such bliss that I'm just like, ah, I've got to find a way to transfer this. So that's where I'm at right now. I wish I could give you some some magic answers of, of what you should go out and do. I guess my encouragement, though, is to go out and do those adventures. The, I think the one of the, the things that struck me was I almost didn't do this. I, I think of, and, and the reason I didn't do it was the anxiety and the fear and the, uh, the uncertainty of, of what's next. And 
for some of you that remember the movie Ghost, remember the movie Ghost with Patrick Swayze and... Uh, totally. What's her name? Demi Moore. Demi Moore. And when he's a ghost, and he the first time he comes to a doorway, and he, he doesn't know what to do with the doorway, right? And he, he thinks he can walk through that doorway, but he, he's not sure, right? So he's very tentative. And now that, that doorway was almost like me when I, before I took this trip, and I, that fear and that anxiety was that door. And once I finally just breathed into it and I walked through that door, everything opened up. And I think that's such a good lesson for all of us. How many times do we shut down plans because of fear and anxiety and we don't even start? We don't even go out there and engage. And I almost did that. I coached this. I teach this. And I almost did it anyway. And so I think this is maybe that's the, the takeaway I want everybody to think about is when you have that. Step into it. Step through that doorway and see what's on the other side. Because it was, it changed my life. Can you share the like intimate answer of what was that final crux move that got you to step through the door? Like, what were you telling yourself, or what was the motivation where you're like, all the fear and anxiety and uncertainty, but you still went? Uh, great question. And I think I relied on my coaching. One of the things that I like to coach people, especially when they're dealing with fear is I say, what's the worst that can happen? Mm. And you've heard, you've heard some of our, our guests say this, this is not, this is not my wisdom, but what's the worst that can happen? And I remember thinking to myself, all right, you're making this into a way bigger deal than it is. The worst is going to happen. I don't even know what the worst is, you know, so I can't find a place, you know, I can't find a, a place to stay. All right. I'll sleep in the back of the Jeep. And you know, it's not going to be the end of the world. Or maybe it just turns out that it didn't work out like I thought, and I just turn around and come home. So these are not bad things, right? But my mind, my imagination was tricking me into thinking it was much worse than that. Like, I don't know, there's lions and tigers and bears out there that were going to eat me. What was the worst part? Like, uh, were there low points? I assume over the course of that amount of time, you hit low points. The lowest point was... I purposely decided to stay. I've never stayed, slept in my car at a rest area. And, and I said, I, I, it wasn't like I didn't have the, the money to get a hotel. But I said, you know what? Let's uh, practice what you teach. And let's, let's breathe into the discomfort of sleeping. It was about a 100-degree day in the middle of California. Oof. So it was a hot night. I have a two-door uh, Jeep that was half full of stuff. And I had a dog. So you can kind of use your imagination on where I might have slept. I tried to sleep in my in my seat, pretty much, you know, sitting upright, and that did not work. And finally, I said, okay, like, we're switching positions because she was in the back. And so I put her up in the front seat, which she just curls up in a little ball, which was, you know, fine. And I laid in the back. And I had my feet up on this, you know, the center console, had the, all the doors and windows open because it was so hot. Anyway, uncomfortable. I woke up at like 4.30 in the morning and finally got back on the road. So I was exhausted from that. But it was a good thing for me to have that discomfort. But I was exhausted and I drove to my next Airbnb, which is in Taft, California. And I was tired, as you might guess. I drive into Taft and I go, this is the ugliest place I've ever seen in my life. I was so uh, depressed to see this. It wasn't so much the Airbnb. It was this town. It reminded me of a Mad Max movie where the oh, apocalypse, wow. everything was gray. And the, you had these oil wells out in the middle of the desert. It was over. It was like 105 degrees. 
There was no green trees anywhere. I mean, it was just this ugly little town, and I was just so depressed. Did you just get the wrong brochure that made you want to go to Taft, or was this well, a necessity I was going, stop? I was going there because I found a cheap Airbnb. The okay. Airbnb was actually pretty cool, <laughs> but the town was was a dump. And I, I apologize if anybody's from Taft out there. But <laughs> but here's the thing. Once I got some sleep, and this is, I think, a good lesson, I got some sleep. I woke up in the morning, and I said, all right, Ron, you're stuck here. Uh, I think I had it. Well, I had it for two nights, and I said, "All right, wh- wh- you just gonna whine about the fact that this is a shithole?" And I said, "What can we find here that's good?" And so I started looking around. And I said, "Okay." I actually got to the point where I said, "I can see beauty in this." I met some people at the, you know, the local restaurant, and they're actually, you know, they were good people, and they're they're doing the best they can. And and I just said, "There's beauty everywhere if you just take a minute to look." Because my knee jerk reaction was, "This place is a hellhole." And I want to get out of here as soon as I can. I never want to see it again. Although I will say I never want to see it again anyway. But <laughs> fair, <laughs> but fair. even the desert, I, you could look at it and go, it's got a rugged beauty to it. And, and the people were good people. And they were doing the best they can in their community in the, in the middle of the California desert. And so, I don't know, that was a good lesson for me to stop being so negative and say, okay, well, how can I find the positive in this? Mm. So that was, it was a kind of a, a contradiction. It was a low point that turned into a little bit of a high point. All right. Maybe you've already said what the answer is. My my final question is, you said you picked up so many different learnings. You're still processing. You've been through quite a few experiences over several thousand miles. Do you have a biggest takeaway? I mean, you have, I'm sure you've thought about it, especially driving back into Denver where you're from. So what, what is the biggest takeaway from doing something like this? Well, for me personally, I mean, I think we should all seek out adventures. I'm, I'm somebody, that's one of my core values is adventure. So that, I, I think that's an important thing to just go out and do your, find your own adventures. But for me personally, it, it goes back to the non-attachment and then the idea that, you know, one of the things I like to use with my coaching is control the controllables. I learned this from my coaches and, and it comes from stoicism. And I said, wait a minute, non-attachment is kind of related to control. When you have a lot of things that you're attached to, what do you want to do? What's our gut reaction? We want to control those things we're attached to, right? And so it's almost like these two things are playing off each other. And so letting go, simplifying my life, decluttering, we don't need nearly as much as we think we need as far as material things. I learned that on this trip. I detached from things and I stopped trying to control everything. I'm a control freak, a recovering control freak. And so I think this really hammered home this idea that don't be so attached, let go of control, simplify, anxiety is going to go down. I'm an anxious person. I think I have an overactive amygdala um, it's been kind of a thing my whole life. And so this was, uh, this was that light bulb moment of how can I maybe control my anxiety a little bit better? And those are things that I'm going to walk away from. And I'm going to try to incorporate this into my life where I'm decluttering, simplifying, not becoming attached to things or people. And I know that sounds bad. You know, don't be attached to people. Well, you can't control them. So why be attached to them? So Again, I know that doesn't sit well with everybody, but those are the things that I think I'm going to take away from this as being the big learnings for me. Cool. Well, welcome back. Good to be back. Thanks for joining us this week. If you enjoyed the podcast, please tell all your friends. If you didn't, let's just forget this happened and we'll try again next week. Until then... 
join the revolution to forge metal and connect with us on social media. 